Section 27. The French Revolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The French Revolution by Hilaire Belloc. Section 27. Chapter 5. Continued. The Military Aspect of the Revolution. The date of the 20th of August must first be fixed in the mind. On that date, the army which was to take Dunkirk was separated into its two component parts. The first, under the Duke of York, was to attack the town itself. The second, under the aged Austrian General Freytag, was to watch the movement of any approaching enemy and to cover the force which was besieging the town. Two days later, the Duke of York was leaving Furness, which he had made his base for the advance, and Freytag had, with the greatest ease, brushed the French posts, mainly of volunteers, from before him, and was beginning to take up the flanking positions south and east of Berjouz, which covered the siege of Dunkirk. Two days later, on August 24th, Freytag had occupied Warmhout and Esquelbequeck, capturing guns by the dozen, doing pretty well what he would with the French outposts, and quite surrounding the town of Bergues. Wilder was in his headquarters. On the same day, the 24th, the Duke of York had, with the greatest ease, driven in the advanced posts of the French before Dunkirk, and shut up the enemy within the town, while he formed his besieging force outside of it, entrenched in a position which he had chosen beforehand, reposing upon the sea at his right, his left on the villages of Tettingham. He was then about three thousand yards from the fortifications at Dunkirk. Such was the situation upon the dawn of the 25th, when everything was ready for active operations. And here the reader must look upon the map for what ultimately proved the ruin of the situation. Supposing Freytag round Berghuis in the position which the map shows, the Duke of York in front of Dunkirk, as the map also shows him, the two forces are in touch across the road and the belt of country which unites Berghuis and Dunkirk. The covering armies and the besieging force which it covers are each a wing of one combined body. Each communicates with the other, each can support the other at the main point of effort, and though between the one and the other eastward there stretches a line of marshy country, the Mears, which the map indicates, yet a junction between the two forces exists westward of these, and the two armies can cooperate by the begused Dunkirk Road. A factor which the Duke of York may have neglected was the power of flooding all that flat country round the road which the French in Dunkirk, being in possession of the sluices, possessed. They used it at once. They drowned the lowlands to the south of Dunkirk upon the very day when the last dispositions of the attacking force were completed. But more important, and never yet explained, was the Austrians' abandonment of Cody Curcu. By this error, the main road itself, standing above the flood, was lost, and from being one strong army, the force of the Allies became two weak ones. Communication was no longer possible between the Duke of York and Freytag's territories, and it was of this separation that the French, in spite of their deplorable organization and more deplorable personnel, 
took advantage. They took advantage of it slowly. Houchard gathered altogether 40,000 men near Cassel, but it was ten days before they could be concentrated. It must again be insisted upon and repeated that, large as the number was, it was four times as great as Freytag's now isolated force. Houchard's command was made up of men, quite two-thirds of whom were hardly soldiers, volunteers, both new and recent, ill-trained conscripts, and so forth. There was no basis of discipline, hardly any power to enforce it. The men had behaved disgracefully in all the affairs of outposts. They had been brushed away contemptuously by the small Austrian force from every position they had held. With all this numerical superiority, the attempt which Houchard was about to make was very hazardous, and Houchard was a hesitating and uncertain commander. Furthermore, of the 40,000 men, one quarter at least remained out of action through the ineptitude and political terror of Dumency, Houchard's lieutenant upon the right. It was upon the 6th of September that the French advance began along the whole line. It was a mere pushing in of inferior numbers by superior numbers, the superior numbers perpetually proving themselves inferior to the Austrians in military value. Thus the capture of old Freytag himself in a night skirmish was at once avenged by the storming of the village near which he had been caught, and he was retaken. In actual fighting and force for force, Houchard's command found nothing to encourage it during these first operations. The Austrians, in falling back, concentrated and were soon one compact body. To attack and dislodge it was the object of the French advance, but an object hardly to be obtained. What happened was not only the unexpected success of this advance, but the gaining by the French of the first decisive action in the long series, which was to terminate twenty years later at Leipzig. The army of Freytag fell back upon the village of Hondeschut, and stood there in full force upon the morning of Sunday the 8th of September. Houchard attacked it with a force greatly lessened, but still double that of the defenders. So conspicuous, however, was the superiority of the Austrian regulars over the French raw troops and volunteers, that during this morning of the 8th the result was still doubtful. By the afternoon, however, the work was done, and the enemy were in a retreat which might easily have been turned into a rout. A glance at the map will show that Houchard, had he possessed the initiative common to so many of his contemporaries, might at once have driven the numerically inferior and heavily defeated force, it had lost one-third of its men, to the right, and proceeded himself to cut the communications of the Duke of York and to destroy his army, which lay packed upon the waterless sand dunes where the village of Malo-Espanes now stands. Houchard hesitated. Freytag escaped. The Duke of York, abandoning his siege pieces to the number of forty, and much of his heavy baggage, retreated precipitously through the night to Furness, right across the front of the French army, and escaped destruction. The Battle of Honshut, therefore, as it is called, raised the siege of Dunkirk. It was, as I have said, the first successful decisive action which the revolution could count since the moment of its extreme danger and the opening of the general European war. But it was nothing like what it might have been had Houchard been willing to risk a hearty stroke. Houchard was therefore recalled, condemned to death, 
and executed by the Committee of Public Safety, whose pitiless despotism was alone capable of saving the nation. He remains the single example of a general officer who has suffered death for military incompetence after the gaining of a victory, and his execution is an excellent example of the way in which the military temper of the committee, and particularly of Carnot, refused to consider any factor in the war save those that make for military success. Carnot and the committee had no patience with the illusions which a civilian crowd possesses upon mere individual actions. What they saw was the campaign as a whole, and they knew that Houchard had left the armies opposite him intact. Perhaps his execution was made more certain by the continuance of bad news from that more important point of the frontier, the direct line of Austrian advance upon Paris. Here already Valenciennes had fallen two months before, and Condé also. Lesquenoy, the third point of the barrier line, capitulated on the 11th of September, and the news of that capitulation reached Paris immediately after the news of Hondeschut. No fortress was now left between the Allies and the capital, but Maubeg. Coburg marched upon it at once. Not only had he that immense superiority in the quality of his troops, which must be still insisted upon, but numerically also he was three to one when on the 28th of September at dawn he crossed the Sambre above and below Maubeg, and by noon of that day had contained the French army in the neighborhood within the lines of the fortress. The situation was critical in the extreme. Maubeg was ill-prepared to stand siege. It was hardly provisioned. Its garrison was of varied and on the whole of bad quality. In mere victuals it could stand out but for a few days, and, worst of all, it had behind it the continued example of necessary and fatal surrenders, which had marked the whole summer. The orders of the Committee of Public Safety to its commander were terse. Your heads shall answer for Mobeg. After the receipt of that message, no more came through the lines. The end of section 27.